snowy morning. It's that white, fluffy snow. It's just beautiful. As I was out snow blowing it this morning, my snowblower actually started, which was awesome because uh, that doesn't always happen. And, uh, you know, it's out there snow blowing it. My fingers are hurting because they're so cold, even though I'm wearing gloves, you know, and you're like, why am I out here, right? Um, and then the snow, the wind hits it because it's so fluffy and it blows all over you. And you're like, what is, what? Uh, yeah. I hope whoever's watching this from inside the warm house is enjoying it. But I love this time of year. I love playoff time in the NFL, like playoff football. And actually any really playoffs, whether it be basketball, March Madness, any of that stuff. I love, uh, I love playoff time because um, everybody takes their play up a level because everything's on the line. Like you win or you go home, right? And I love that. And I was just thinking about that today and thinking about how, you know, man, as, as believers in Christ, as the church, and this is going to come into play in what I talk about later, but uh, we really ought to be uh, living each day like it's the playoffs with that kind of urgency behind us, right? I know right now in, uh, in uh, San Francisco, California, and in Cincinnati, Ohio, there's a lot of full churches because some people got to keep some promises they made last night right? Uh, during the games, right? There's better be two field goal kickers in church this morning, that's for sure, right? But, but the point is that, like, we, we feel an urgency about that. The teams feel an urgency about that. And if you're not into sports, I'm sorry. There's a couple of sports illustrations today, and I'm real sorry, but that's just what, that's what I got this morning for you. Um, but this morning, I want to talk a little bit about us playing with, uh, with an urgency uh, in how we do things. Now, the first thing you're going to notice that this morning's a little bit different, okay? It's just going to be different. I'm sorry. I don't know. Like, I made an outline. I don't know if it's going to end up going with what I have to say, okay? I think it will, uh, but, you know, just get a pencil ready or something and an eraser, okay? Um, uh, I have a lot that I want to say this morning. It's going to be a little bit different. What we're going to do is I'm going to spend the first part of this morning during the sermon, like the first half-ish time, uh, Talk, speaking and, and talking through and preaching through um, the text that comes next in our series of Philippians, which is Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to go ahead and turn over there. But then the second half, I'm going to do what I normally would, what I would probably rather do even during a, um, either take a full sermon or maybe even uh, could consider saving it for like a members meeting. Um, but I'm actually going to at- attach it to the end of the sermon today because I think it connects. And that is a state of the church address. Okay, now, I'm not the president. I'm not a CEO. I'm a pastor. So we're just going to celebrate where we've been and where we're going. Okay. And that's what's going to be kind of the back half of this. Now, I want to acknowledge that there's some people because of the snow, the weather, or illness are not with us today uh, here and are watching online. So first of all, welcome. Glad to see you. Um, My plan is at this point to take the state of the church stuff that I share at the end and turn that into its own standalone video for people who weren't here. So if somebody couldn't make it today, they can catch that part. Um, and I'll do it, I'll do it um, like in my office or something where there'll be better audio for them so they can catch it. And so that if you want to listen back and celebrate all the things at home that God has done, uh, that you also can, uh, can you know, play that back as well. So that's my plan. It'll be, of course, in the sermon video and on the sermon audio as well. Um, but that was just an extra little thing that I wanted to do. With that, let me get a drink of water and then we'll begin, because apparently my voice has decided it doesn't want to participate. And I don't know enough sign language to preach in it. All right. Charles Barkley. <laughs> that was probably not the name you thought I was going to start with this morning, right? Charles Barkley. I, I don't know if you know who Charles Barkley was, but in the 90s, he was a basketball player. He played for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, they call him uh, the, the round one or the round mouth because loud mouth, round mouth, whatever. They had all these nicknames for him, right? And the most popular basketball player and the best basketball player of all time is Michael Jordan. We all know that, right? We all know that it's Michael Jordan and then somewhere far, far down the line is Kobe and LeBron, right? Um, so, and I won't, <laughs> you see what I did there. Uh, so anyway, I can hear Snickers. So, um, so Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time, but at the same time as him, there were all these like mega superstar basketball players that like we've not, I just don't think we've seen anything like it since then. Now, some of some, like my kids would say, oh, but we got Steph Curry and we got this guy and that guy and those guys are great. Those guys are great, but it just, it feels different. 
And then when you had Carl Malone and uh, Charles Barkley and John Stockton and, uh, you know, Dennis Rodman, Scotty Pippen. I mean, see, I could name all these guys from back then. But anyway, Charles Barkley had a commercial that he did. Now, Michael Jordan was real famous for, you know, I want to be like Mike. You know, I had, I think we had that single, the cassette single of that song, you know, I want to be like Mike and Nike. Nike would air these shoes. Well, there was another commercial that featured Charles Barkley in which he said, I am not a role model. And he basically said, basketball players aren't role models. Your parents are are role models. Now, I want to read a little bit from a, a Yahoo News article about this. It says, one of the most fiercely debated commercials in Nike history arose from an alarming discovery. Nike learned in 1993 that its popularity had slipped among teenage males, a demographic that the shoe apparel giant had long considered its bread and butter. Reebok in particular, some of you may remember this, Reebok in particular had made inroads after unveiling an outdoor blacktop version of its trendy pump sneakers. You guys remember the Reebok pumps? Yeah, and there was that one uh, movie that this, I don't remember which farce movie it was, but they pump them up and then they exploded. It was really hilarious. Anyway, the Nike pump, and I thought they were so cool. Oh, we could pump them up. You know, whereas, okay, so roughly 92% of teenage male consumers previously had preferred Nike to any other athletic footwear brand, but that number plunged into the mid-70s, which still sounds pretty good, but plunged into the mid-70s as the calendar turned to 1993, all right? Three was a lot of pressure, former Nike executive Scott Bradbury said. We needed to get the edge back with teenage males. We gave that brief to Whedon and Kennedy, some folks, and then we held on to our seats. What Nike's longtime advertising agency came back with was an honest, thought-provoking commercial that challenged social norms. Notoriously outspoken Phoenix Suns star Charles Barkley boldly and defiantly declared that he was not a role model and that kids should be taught to emulate their parents, not athletes or celebrities. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids, Barkley concluded. The commercial first aired roughly two years after one of Barkley's most controversial moments. You guys, some of you will remember in March 1991, the NBA suspended Barkley for one game and fined him $10,000. It's a lot of money. After he tried to spit uh, at a racist heckler seated courtside in New Jersey, but ended up hitting an eight-year-old girl. So this is two years after that. He, he gets this kind of bad boy reputation. He comes out and says, I'm, I'm not a role model. Basketball players are not role models. And I think he kind of, as a person, rejected that idea of being a role model. Now, I know this is a really long illustration, but here's, here's why I say that. We're supposed to imitate Christ. And Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And he today, in the passage today, he actually presents a couple of guys who are worth imitating because they imitate Christ. And I do think we do need role models in the faith. Not, not to be worshipped, not to be uplifted or whatever. We should honor them, yes. But we do need role models who go before us to show us what it means to follow Jesus. Now, as we think about what it means to be partners in the gospel or partners in the good news, which is the kind of the overarching title we've got for our series through Philippians, I want to take a look at how the Apostle Paul looked at those he partnered with in the gospel, and in particular, what kind of character he valued in those who would be role models, and for the excuse me, and for those he was writing to the Philippian Christians to imitate. The question, though, is for them: if 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 he was going to ask them this question, he didn't ask this question particularly, but we've all heard this, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Or Who do you want to be when you grow up? Now, the Apostle Paul's answer is the same that he wants for ours to be. He wants our answer to be Jesus. I want to be, not that you want to be Jesus, but I want to be like Jesus when I grow up, right? I want to be like Jesus. I want to imitate Jesus. We've seen in the last few passages, by the way, do you know that uh, the word Christian, when they were originally called Christians in Antioch, it was, it was, it wasn't a compliment. <laughs> it, was actually, it was actually derogatory, um, but the connotation or meaning there is little Christ. So they're people who follow Christ, who imitate Christ. We've seen in the last few passages in Philippians chapter 2 
that Paul told the Philippian church members to imitate Christ in his humility and his God-glorifying service. And we saw that in Christ, the, that beautiful Christ hymn in verses 5 through 11. We saw this admonition to them to be people who shine like lights against the darkness of the world, right? In the following passages. And all of this in, all of this in context um, of his view of them as partners in the good news, partners in the gospel. Now, as we think through what it means to be partners in the gospel, I want to take a look at how Paul looked at those he was partnered with in the gospel, and again, what kind of character. I, want you to, I, I said that before, and I want, you, I want it to just kind of sink into your mind, because he's looking at what kind of character he valued in those who he would lift up as someone to be emulated. What's the kind of character he saw in them that he would want others to emulate, and where, in particular, that character came from. Let's read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have to have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand it. Jesus, as we come to your word this morning, I just pray you'd speak to us. uh, Right to our hearts. Uh, Cut us to the heart. Show us our sin. Bring us to a place of repentance, of godly sorrow. Leading to repentance. Help us to trust you, to take you at your word and, and act on it. And act on it. God, I pray I would decrease and you would increase, Jesus. That you be what people remember about today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, I forgot to mention something. Uh, I meant to mention at the beginning, but tomorrow is Asher's 13th birthday. So, yeah. So, just realized that while I was sitting here. Had it written down and everything, so make sure you tell Asher happy birthday uh, and, and pray for Bethany and I because we're going to have three teenagers at the same time. So. But one's off at college, so, you know, he's off on his own. So, hey, here's the thing, and it ties into this, though, is, and I said this earlier, is that we, I do believe, have a need for role models. I mean, what is discipleship but someone who is a little farther along brings someone else along in the faith? We need to see people farther along in the faith than us and watch how they go through life and see how they respond to things and how they serve others. And this, look, this does not always mean sitting in a class. It might mean that some, okay? You know, we had our discipleship class on Wednesday nights, and that's not all of discipleship, okay? If that's all, that's not, that's not it, okay? Discipleship is also, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I had this, this teenage kid who now he and his family are missionaries in Spain, so that's awesome. But I had this kid, he didn't even go to our church, but he was a friend, I knew him from, from before. He was a senior in high school, and he wanted to job shadow me in ministry. Like, I'm a youth pastor, I don't know, if you're going to watch me sit in my office and play in youth group? Like, what are you going to do? Because back then, it was, I was in my first full-time uh, youth pastor position, I didn't know what, you know, this is a long time ago, right? And so, uh, he, he would come in, and he would just go and do stuff with me. Like, if I needed to go to Walmart... He'd go to Walmart with me. He'd see how I treated 
the cashiers, right? And how I laughed at the weird way they said Keokuk in Keokuk, Iowa, because they pronounce it really weird over there. Um, and all of that. But he would, he would, that was, part of it was watching me, whether it be watching me, you know, kids that would come over and hang out with us and would watch me interact with Bethany, interact with my kids. One of the ways that Bethany and I learned how to be parents is because the first pastor I ever served under before we ever had kids, we would be at their house after church on Sundays, before church on Wednesday nights or, 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 um, or on Sunday nights, and we would be there with them. We'd be hanging out, eating ice cream, and we would watch them go through their nighttime routine with their kids. We were just there like flies on the wall. We weren't there for that purpose. We were there to hang out with our friends, but we saw how they did their prayers with their kids and how they talked to their kids about the Lord and how they, like, and we were discipled as parents in that way because we had role models. The way Paul talks about these two guys in particular that he mentions by name here, he talks about them as a reflection of what he had just been describing a few verses earlier in the selfless servant attitude of Jesus, the humility of Jesus. So what he's got, it's real interesting if you look at the whole of Philippians 2, and I I don't know that I had ever realized all of this and its connections before studying it for this sermon series, but you start out with him saying, be like Jesus, imitate Jesus, and then here's what Jesus is like. And then when you do that, here's practically how you do that. And then you'll shine like stars up, like bright lights against the darkness of the world. And then he's like, and I hope to send these two guys to you. And they're examples of that, what I just said. It's an incredible through line. So we come to the first dude, Timothy. And Paul obviously loves Timothy. He's talked about Timothy a lot, calls him his son in the faith. But Paul highlights some things about Timothy's demeanor and his care that may be potentially preparing them to listen to Timothy, who's his son in the faith. The way he talks about Timothy seems like Paul is preparing the Philippians to follow him, to follow Timothy. Why would he be doing that? Well, Paul, as he alludes to, he hopes to come back to him, but he's not sure what's going to happen to him, right? He's not sure that he's going to make it out of his present distress, his present situation. So Paul talks about Timothy. He says, I hope, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. First of all, Paul had no one else that he was, thought was more like-minded than him. Right? Timothy was like-minded with Paul. Probably because Timothy spent so much time with Paul. And he calls him his son in the faith. And they were like-minded. And Paul, we know where Paul's mind is, right? And who it's on imitating is Jesus. And here we got Timothy says, I got no one else more like-minded. And he goes on, who is going to be truly concerned for their welfare, for their well-being. So we see Timothy, this guy who is imitating Paul is he imitates Christ, so he is like-minded with Paul. So Paul has discipled him, has raised him up as, as a pastor, installed him in his church and all that, all right? And trained him up and released him to ministry. And now he's like, you know, I hope to send him to you. And he's saying, there's no one else that's as much like-minded as me for you whose heart is set on your welfare, and he talks about how other people are other people are just after their own interests. Everybody else is they're more concerned with their own interests, but this guy cares for you. So when we talk about someone who's partnering in the good news, who's imitating Christ with that humble attitude, it's someone who has a genuine care for the welfare and the well-being of others. He's proven twenty-two. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. But he just didn't know, right? I mean, he hoped he would come, but he didn't know. But even if he didn't, he knew he could trust Timothy with the ministry. There's a lot here <laughs> that I can say about, um, you know, like raising up leaders within the church and 
turning them out to do ministry on their own and raising up pastors. And, and, and you know, and I've said this before. I said this uh, one of the very first times I was ever in front of you guys preaching that I would love nothing more than for the next pastor of this church to come through our nursery, through our children's ministry, through our youth ministry, through our discipleship process. We send them off to school, get them trained up in that. We give them practical experience as an elder and a pastor here. And then I turn it over to them when I'm however old and ready to retire or die, whatever comes first. Uh, at this point, it may be death but uh, <laughs> before I'm able to retire. Um, and turn it over to them, and I ride off into the sunset. I think that would be amazing. That doesn't happen overnight. People don't just immediately become these kind of people. It takes time. And it took effort of Paul. Look, there's a bit of an effort to say, hey, do you want to come with me? I'll come pick you up and you go get somebody and you go places. Or, hey, I'll meet you at, I'll meet you at, coffee at 10 a.m. on Saturday, every Saturday for six weeks, so we can go through this explaining Christianity stuff that I've been, my pastor taught me at church, and talk through it. It takes effort. You got to prepare. You got to be ready, and you got to show up and be there. You got to be prayed up and ready. It takes effort. Anyway, sorry, that's kind of an aside. Let's go on to this next dude, Epaphroditus, or as I like to call him, E-Money. So, I won't call him E-Money during the sermon, but... I guess I just did twice, but Epaphroditus. Well, sometimes when I'm taking notes about it, I write e-money, but anyway, which really isn't that much less writing than Epaphroditus, but it's sure easier to spell. What do we know about Epaphroditus? Well, we know that he was concerned about the people because they heard he was sick. So here we have, he's worried about them because they heard he was sick. In fact, Paul says he almost died. So this dude who's out doing ministry, he's, he's ministering to them, he's ministering to, ministering to Paul, and he comes and he almost dies, and the Philippians get word of it, and Epaphroditus is concerned about them because they heard he was sick. Like, this is like, ah, those people, they heard I was sick, I'm worried about them and how they feel, and they may be scared for me, and here I am all better, and he wants to go and be with them. He, he wants to assure them that he's better, right? Because he doesn't even, look, he's not concerned about his own health, which at that point was fine, right? Because he was healed. He's concerned about just the fact that they were worried about him and he wanted to let him know to not be, that he was okay. The depth of the care See, you're seeing something here. We're going to get to it in a minute, but you're seeing the importance and the depth of relationships when the church acts like Christians. So he nearly died. Paul commends these guys with uh, the thing about it, and he says God had mercy on him. And I want to point that out, that God had mercy on Epaphroditus. Because what Paul does here is Paul never commends these guys with anything other than what God had worked in them. Right? He doesn't attribute any of their awesomeness to them. He says, yes, they are, everything is keyed in to what he understands about Jesus and Jesus' work within them. He doesn't attribute it to any inherent goodness in them apart from Christ in them. And he recognizes, Paul recognizes that it's because of Jesus that Timothy and Epaphroditus are the type of leaders they are, that they are worthy of imitation. And he talks about Epaphroditus as a brother. A brother. We can't overstate the importance of this. When we trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for our sins in our place, we repent of our sin and we trust in him and his resurrection he raised from the grave three days later, and that his, his, uh, excuse me, that his death paid the price for all of our sins. 
as a substitute, as a sacrifice, the perfect, once and for all, that we are adopted into the family of God and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not just something we say to be cute, right, or to be weird, because some people think it's weird. Hey, brother, hey, sister. Yeah, some people think that's weird, okay? And, and I love to call people brother and sister, um, but I was in one church once, and, man, every time, like, when they took minute, minutes in a business meeting, it was brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so made a motion and sister so-and-so. And then it got read back. It got real repetitive. But at least they had an understanding of these aren't just funny titles we give to one another. This is a deep theological spiritual truth that we aren't just partners in the gospel. We're family. We're family. I want to give three three main uh, aspects that we see from Timothy and Epaphroditus through Paul's telling about talking about them of what partners in the gospel do or what we are partners in in the good news okay and and I want to challenge you in that 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 be who you are to one another as well okay and then I'm after that I'm going to go into the state of the church stuff for a little bit but the first one is partners in concern for one another Partners in concern for one another. Um, I think we care about one another. I do. However, our care for one another sometimes, sometimes, I fear, does not go from a warm feeling about someone who is going through something to where it translates into action. Um, A concern for one another that drives us to do something about it. That something may be prayer for that person. And we'll talk about prayer here in a little bit, but a lot of us struggle with prayerlessness where it's hard for us to pray or it's hard for us to, um, hard for us to, Uh, know what to pray for someone. But I think a genuine concern for one another, look, with Epaphroditus, it was translated, he was concerned about even how they, they were concerned for him, and they were concerned for him, and he was concerned back that they were overly concerned, and he was fine. Like There's a lot of deep care there, right? And I don't think it was a surface level thing. I think it was a deep heart level thing. So concern for one another. Number two, love for one another. Love for one another. You might write down faithful friendship there as well. Because I think our, our love for one another, what we see here with Timothy, with Epaphroditus, with Paul, we see this faithful friendship in the gospel, but a deep love for one another that, again, translates into action. And, you know, there's an old song, uh, it's about 30 years old, and it says, love is a verb. Love is a verb, Right? Because you don't just love with words, but with deed, with action. They truly loved one another, even at the potential cost of their lives. Even at the potential cost of their lives. Which moves into number three, which is service to God and to one another. Service to God and to one another. Epaphroditus went and did the thing and almost died. He was willing to serve, though it cost him his life. We know from church history that serving the Lord and the church did cost Paul his life, as well as many of the other early church leaders and apostles. That service in the gospel is more important to them than their very own lives. But Paul says that, hey, yeah, but there's some people who are more interested in their own, their own interests, not the interests of others. But you should follow these guys because they care more about you than even their own life. And guys, I struggle to get there with some people, right? Like there's some people it's hard to enact a care for them that you would think would be more important than your own life. 
but we are not called to do only what we can do in our humanity. We're called to do what we can do by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us if we've trusted in Christ. So what's the bottom level line on that? And it's this. It's, it's three words that are going to pop up. Relationships matter deeply. Relationships matter deeply. And guys, that's hard. Because people, I don't know if you realize this or not, but people, kind of hard to deal with. Right? I'm kind of hard to love sometimes. I know, you look at me and you think, you are not hard to love, you big teddy bear. I'm pretty prickly sometimes, okay? Especially if I haven't eaten in a while. All right? That hangry thing, that's real. Relationships matter deeply. They mattered to Paul. They mattered to Timothy and Paphroditus. And Paul is communicating to the church that these things matter. Partnership in the gospel matters. Being an active member in your local church matters. Church matters. Because the individual relationships, remember the church isn't just some organization that joined like the Lions Club, right? It's a, not that there's anything wrong with the Lions or the Kiwanis. Uh, uh, it's great, great peaches from the Kiwanis. Um, they, uh, uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's not what the church is. The church is the gathered, the gathered children of God. Trusting in Jesus Christ, trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ together. And those relationships, yes, corporately, but individually, they matter deeply. These things matter to partners in the gospel because, guess what? They matter to us because they matter to Jesus. He's the ultimate display of what it means to love someone, to care for their welfare, to serve them, and to lay down his life for them. It is what we are to imitate the selfless service, the other-centered attitude of Jesus Christ. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So let me stop. This mind is what, what he's about to describe is what we're supposed to have, and in Christ Jesus, that's ours. Okay? Here's, here's what he says in the beginning of verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself... By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Paul trusted Timothy and Epaphroditus to minister to the people because they reflected this selfless attitude of Jesus. They mirrored what what they had learned from Paul and he trusted those that he loved, the Philippians. He trusted those people to the care of people like Timothy and Epaphroditus. So what's the gospel connection here? Well, it's this. Jesus is more than just a role model. Jesus is not just a role model. The point is not to try real hard to be like Jesus so that you can in some way earn God's favor. You can't earn his favor. The point is that our growing into the image of Christ comes from our hearts already submitted to his lordship. If you're his child, then you already have his favor. He loves you. And out of obedience to him, we should desire to imitate Jesus because he saved us. And be the type of people that we see described in Timothy and Epaphroditus. The point is, it's not about them or us. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The question for you and me is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? So he says, he who started the good work will complete it, bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. So will we trust him by obeying him? We take him at his word and say, okay, he says this, and, and he did this for me on the cross, and so I'm supposed to do this as his follower. 
and the outcome be he will complete his work in me. So will I take him at his word and do it? So now I want to switch gears a little bit here. I know it's weird. I haven't figured out a good way to do that yet, to switch gears here. But I just want to talk a little bit about the state of Hope Bible Fellowship, like where we're at, where we're going, and kind of give you, you know, last year I preached a whole like sermon series over our mission and vision, right? And kind of who we are, where we've been, where we're going. We're going to do that, and that's probably, you're going to hear that periodically throughout the next several years. But what I want to do first is look at where we are, where we are, and celebrate what God has done in this last year. This has been like the last 12 months, so back through 2021, I know everybody's thinking, yeah, it's been, you know, a mess. You got the COVID and the political stuff and the upheaval and all that stuff. But God has been doing some really cool stuff in 2021. And from a human perspective, we look at it and we're like, well, that's pretty small stuff. But when we when here, when I list all this for you in just a minute, you're going to be, you, maybe your mind may be a little bit blown. And I'm sure I missed some of the things that God is doing because God does stuff that I don't realize he's doing, okay? So let me just say that. But first thing was, um, this past year I preached through a series of sermons as we began uh, to go through this process of replanting Hope Bible Fellowship and replanting and relaunching out into the world, which is still in process. Uh, But I preached a series of sermons on our mission, gather together, grow deep, and go wide. To gather together, to worship together, to worship the Lord Jesus, to, to be faithful to that, to grow deep together in our discipleship and discipling of one another, and to go wide with the message of the gospel, uh, which means across the street and across the world. And we, and we started out with a class uh, called Hope Deeper were our Wednesday night discipleship classes. We started out learning how to study the Bible, and then we went into explaining Christianity to help us, number one, understand the gospel and Christianity better, and number two, to help us understand how to talk through someone who has a lot of uh, questions or misunderstandings about the gospel out in, in, in the world, out in our lives and, and in our relationships. And we started out with a good group of people. I think there was something like 14 or 15 people that went that started through that class. Now, as we got colder and sickness and stuff hit of course that dwindled uh but we had those people in those classes most of those classes are still online you can find them um and that has been really great now as aj said earlier we're on a break from that right now until we move into what we're going to be doing next which i will get to here in a little bit uh we have had new attenders coming uh ones and twosies at a time and it's been fantastic and we have met and welcomed several awesome people and of those people who've started coming uh, and attending our church, uh, we had a membership class for anybody interested in finding out more about what it means to be a member of Hope Bible Fellowship and then enter into that process of becoming a member. Uh, and we had nine people attend that class. Ten if you count me, but I'm, I'm already here. So. Uh, so we had nine people attend our membership class. And we're currently, I'm working to get through individual interviews with those people. So if you've been, if you're in that class and I haven't sat down with you one-on-one or like with me and Bethany or whoever, uh, somebody hasn't done an individual interview with you and it may or may not be me as well. I may use some of the deacons for that. Um, We're working to get that done because what we want to do is we want to bring all those people in at the same time after we've gone through those, made sure people understand the gospel. And we want to make sure you're, uh, you know, as best we can tell that you love the Lord and you understand the gospel and you understand what it means to be a church member. And so that's part of what that class was about, but then we do individual interviews. So we're still working on that, but Lord willing, we'll be bringing, you know, eight, nine people into membership this year, which is really exciting. Um, Third, we did the trunk or treat outreach. I don't know what else to call it. I know we didn't use trunks, but we had plenty of treats. Um, And we did this Halloween outreach out here. And to be able to hand out hot dogs and coffee and, and just it was a really awesome thing for people to see, oh, you guys are here, and you care about the neighborhood. You care about the community. And then the Dixon Christmas Walk. As far as I can tell, and I, there was another pastor there, and I asked him, I said, hey, uh, were there other, did you see any other churches that were here? And he said, no, you're the only one I've seen. So I think we were the only church at the Dixon Christmas Walk with a booth. We won't be next year, probably. But I think we were the only church with a booth. We had, we had 300 gift bags 
with, uh, with Bible comics, with coloring books, and with uh, some, some devotionals, and then some gospel tracts, different things that we gave out. And we gave those out in about an hour and 15 minutes. And then we were just standing around talking to people, because that's all we had. But people were coming by, where is that church located? Where is that? Yeah, we're over by Oliver's. You know, it's, it's our landmark, right? And yeah, people were like, they were super thankful just that we were there and we cared enough to, to be out there and do this and to talk to them and not be weird. Like, we weren't weird, you know? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm always weird. But some of us weren't weird, right? So some people weren't weird. You know, but we were just there and caring for them. And, and, and guys, and, and, and we've seen some fruit from that. We also brought in a brand new set of bylaws. I don't know if you know how big of a deal that is, but to do an overhaul of your constitution or your bylaws like that and bring it in where it it sort of changes up some fundamental things, uh, but to have you guys look at them and read them and for us to bring that in and it to be voted unanimously in, that's huge. Only God can do something like that. So it's it's been a good year. It's been a good year. It's been a big year, right? We've had, uh, oh, and we've, we've added kids too, right? We've had babies born, right? It's been great. So where are we going in 2022? Where are we going in 2022? Well, we're going to continue to gather together, grow deep, and go wide together. But we're going to push that further, Lord willing, Lord willing, and as we follow the Holy Spirit, we're going to push that farther. The first thing that you're going to notice is a focus on prayer. First thing you're going to notice is a focus on prayer. It's been something that's been on my heart for several months now, in my own life personally, but also the life of our church, that we need to be a more prayerful church. We're going to be praying for God to invade our hearts and our church and to make us, in who he, make us into who he wants us to be. We're going to have more prayer times during the services you're going you're gonna to be invited to some special prayer and worship evenings periodically that are going to be happening. And we're going to focus on crying out to the only one who can really help us. Friends, it, until Jesus has fully captured our hearts, then all the stuff stuff we do in our own power is not really going to matter. We want to be sensitive to his leading. And so that's going to be a part of that. Number two thing we're going to focus on is going to be gospel partnerships. You know, in Philippians, we talk about partners in the gospel. Um, Guys, we can't do this alone. Okay, we can't do this alone. So we're going to be looking for the types of ministries and friends and networks that can help us to accomplish the mission that I believe God himself has set. Hope Bible Fellowship in Dixon banded us scrappy little church together. And y'all are scrappy. Stay scrappy, my friends. All right? And, and, and we're going to look for the types of people or networks or groups that we can join in, that we can be a part of, that will help us move forward. Because partnership in the gospel is important. Number three, and this is, I alluded to this earlier, but relationships in discipleship and within our church community. So we want to work on relationships for discipling people within and without, okay? So inside and outside the church. But we also want to build our relationships within our church community. And what that's going to look like is two things. That's going to look like life groups and which is something we're going to be installing later in the year. There are going to be life groups, which are going to be like a small group um, in homes, or if people don't want to host them in their homes, they can host them here in one of the classrooms. Um, and they're going to be focused on the sermon. Um, what was preached on Sunday will be the topic of discussion, uh, not, not whether or not I did a good job, please. But um, <laughs> uh, 
but there'll be a discussion guide. You'll read through the you'll read through the passage that was preached on. There'll be discussion questions to go further and deeper because we sat here for an hour on Sunday mornings or an hour and a half on Sunday mornings, right? And you hear me preach for forty five minutes or so, maybe longer today, and and then and then you go home. And this is a way that later in the week or later that night or whenever your group meets that you'll get together and you'll say, hey, okay, let's read that passage. Okay, now the first point that he made was this. So how's that hit you? How's that work out in your, in your life? And it'll be a time for growing deeper together, but also to fellowship with one another, to pray for one another, and to truly grow deeper in those relationships as we partner together in the gospel. And shoot, just as we love one another. So we're going to focus on that. And also, we're going to focus on spending some time together as a church. There's going to be more fellowships like what we had last night with the White Elephant Party. Which was a ball, by the way. And um, I think I've already got my gift for next year picked out. Um, If you were there, you could probably guess what it's going to be. Uh, So Alonzo, you still got a shot at it. Anyway, um, so, so... there's going to be more of those. Uh, we're going to start out in February with a movie night here at the church where I'm going to show a film called American Gospel, Christ Alone, um, that is, uh, I think, a really important documentary. It came out a few years ago. Um, and actually, the first, uh, like it starts out, when it starts out, it starts out in Peoria, actually, uh, which is pretty cool. Number four, we're going to focus on gospel advancement. We're going to focus on sharing Jesus with people and helping you share Jesus with people. Number five, we're going to focus on generosity. AJ's going to come up when we do our business meeting after, or not business, our members' financial meeting, whatever we call it, uh, the financial report after, after we get done, sing our final song. AJ will come up and we'll, we'll do it. we got a couple of those things we need to vote on. But we're going to focus on, on being a generous people. Actually, I'm going to challenge you to be a generous people and to trust God with, with our finances as a church and as individuals. We're going to focus on being, being deeper in our service. And we're going to focus on the next generation. We're going to focus on the next generation. Um, look, there's a variety of opinions about children's ministry. I have my own opinions about what that ought to look like in the ideal church, which we're not going to be the ideal church. We're going to be a church of imperfect people gathering together, trying to reach people with the gospel and disciple one another. But we've got to work towards the next generation. Churches that don't minister to the next generation end up empty and quiet eventually. And so we must minister to the next generation. And in doing so, um, we also, uh, uh, this has to be part of it. We want to minister to children but we need to minister to dads. We need to minister to men and women, yes. But there's a study that, that is out, and I don't have the exact statistics, but it's really quite shocking that if you minister to uh, the kid, uh, you might get the mom. If you minister to the mom, you'll get the kids. But if you minister to the dad, you're, you're like, it's like 85% going to get the whole family. And so those are the things we need to be focused on. So what I want to do right now is I want to close um, with just a, we're going to sing a song, but I'm going to have the musicians, you guys go ahead and come up. And I know this is weird at the end of the sermon to do this, but you hired me, so it's kind of your fault. Um, So the, uh, (laughs) and I ain't going anywhere. So uh, anyway, just in case anybody was scared, you know, when I get up here and talk about, oh, the future, no, I ain't going anywhere. So... um, what I want to do is have a time of prayer. Before we go into our members meeting, before we, um, before we get into talking about finances and nitty gritty and all that stuff, it's just to pray together as a church. Because again, I said, we're going to be a prayer focused church. And so um, Dana and the band are going to play and they're going to sing um, the final song. And I'm going to invite you, and we did this a few months ago, but I want to invite you just to come up the, to the altar area here. If you're physically able, and kneel down and just pray for our church together as, as kind of as one voice, okay? And you can pray silently. You don't have to pray out loud. If you want to pray out loud, you're welcome to. But um, the music will be playing. 
if, if, that's, if you're not quite there yet, you can just stay where you are and stand and sing or let the words of the song wash over you. But I want to invite you to come down and pray um, for the church. If you're physically able to kneel down here. If you're not, you can come down and sit in the front row or just pray where you're at. I'm, I'm fine with that. Nobody's going to think you're less holy if you don't come down here, okay? Um, I promise. And if they do, then, then you send them to talk to me. All right? We'll have a pastoral visit. All right? I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm not that guy. All right. But I just want to open this up for a time of prayer during this song. And then um, we'll, just, we'll just worship. You worship through prayer. If you, again, you stay and sing where you're at. And then um, when they're done, Dana will close us in prayer. And then um, after that, we'll just take a real quick break. If you need to run to the restroom or something, just take about two, three minutes. And then come back in here. And we'll start a financial meeting so that we can get everybody home at a decent hour, okay? Would you stand up with me? I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and then uh, the altar will be open. Father God, as we come, I I just thank you so much for uh, this group of people. Um, God, you've gathered us here together for a reason. It just is astounding to me. It's mind-boggling that, like, I'm in this room for a reason that was picked by you long ago. That everybody in this room is in this room for a particular reason. That you've purposed us to be here together. And this exact group of people in this exact formation will probably not ever be exactly together in exactly the same way again. But you've purposed for today for this to be. How incredible. I just pray for a renewed sense of of awe, of grace-drenched, Holy Spirit-driven awe. You'd help us stand in awe of you and what you have done and what you want to do. Help us to hold on for dear life. And help us trust you, whether big or small, whether things work out the way we want them to or not whether people leave or people come. Help us to hold on to you for dear life and to trust your goodness even in the struggle. I love you, Jesus. And without you, this is all pointless. Speak to our hearts. Move in us. Help us have the the strength, the faith in you to take you at your word. Just believe and act upon it. Because you're good. Because you're worthy and because you are enough for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.